we begin with this, this famous question. Why, why are there four Gospels? I mean, we have the good news according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Good news about Christ, but why four? You've heard the story that I've told you many, many times. I trusted Christ when I was 19, never really had a Bible, never had any of that. I started reading. Most of you know I started in the Old Testament, then I got to Leviticus and switched to the New Testament. And, and when I did that, I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John pretty quickly, but I, I thought to myself, they're pretty similar. At least Matthew, Mark, and Luke were real similar, and John was a little bit different. And I asked one of my friends, why are there four Gospels? And he said, God didn't want you to miss it. He just, that's why he put it in there four times. I, he didn't know. Nobody, you know, most, I, I guarantee you, you go to ask your families, people coming in for the holidays, and you say, why are there four Gospels? Uh, they probably won't know why there are four Gospels. And so as we raise this question, we want to think about why are there four Gospels, the good news about Christ? God promised to send a Savior. And this time of the year, we think about it. We think about Matthew one twenty one, where the angel told Joseph, uh, you shall have a son, he shall, you, you shall call his name Jesus, he shall be the Savior, he shall save his people. So let's go back and think about God's provision of salvation. And that's why this may take a little longer than our normal grow group, and so if we go over too much, you, you know, you can go to your grow group, or you can go out in the lobby, or whatever you want to do, I'll, but uh, uh, we, I might also just open up for any questions that you might have. But let's think about the birth of Christ. If you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, when they failed, when they sinned in the garden, God came and made a promise. He said, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of woman is going to be a descendant, basically coming through a woman that's going to be the savior of the world. You go later on to Abraham, and God told Abraham, I'm going to give you a land seed and a blessing. The seed will be the Messiah. The blessing will be salvation through the whole world. And so from Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac to Jacob, and Jacob to Judah, this message is passed down that a Messiah is coming. And then later to King David, God promised to David, through you, the Messiah will come and those kind of things. And so that's what we saw over and over. But as you look in the Old Testament, and most people, let's face it, most people don't read the Old Testament. Most people don't study the Old Testament. It's a little bit hard. I mean, when you, you, Genesis is kind of fun because there's a lot of things in there. And you get to Exodus and it's kind of fun to, until they get out of Egypt. When I say fun, it's fun it's stud to study. And then you get out of Egypt and you get in, in, to Sinai and they start giving them the law. And most people go, I don't, I don't want to look at this. And when you look at Leviticus, and you go, oh my gosh, all of the things. And, you kind of, and so you kind of skip forward. And sometimes you get First and Second Samuel. And that's really interesting about David and Goliath and Jonathan and Saul and all of that. But then you start looking at... Isaiah, 66 chapters, Jeremiah, the Lamentations, Ezekiel, you know, Hosea, Joel, Amos, I mean, you start going off through all those, and you go, there's a lot in here, and I don't even know what it means, and I don't know how it affects me. And there's even some people who say, oh, we shouldn't even study the Old Testament. However, Paul writes and says, the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our benefit. So we should study it. So when we start talking about the Old Testament, and if I said to you, what, what do you see in the Old Testament about a Messiah? I want you to realize this, that when you look in the Old Testament and the promises of the Messiah, there are four key things you see. The first one is this, that in the Old Testament, there was a king who was going to come. The king who would come into Jerusalem as the Messiah and the Savior. You're in Zechariah 9. I want you to look at verse 9, okay? Zechariah 9 says, Rejoice. I hope you're there. Everybody's there. Look, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Okay, that's Jewish people. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. That's Jewish people. Behold, who's king? Your king. King of the who? King of the who? Jews. Your king is coming to you. 
Okay, he's coming. Most kings came in big entourages, right? You know, the king is coming. They blew the trumpets. Everybody got out of the way. They came in, bringing them in on the, one of those things that they sit on, and everybody go, here comes the king. But this, this doesn't say this. It says, your king is coming. He's just and endowed with what? What is he bringing? Salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey, even on the colt, the fold of a donkey. So when the king of Israel comes, he doesn't come on a horse. Not the first time. The second time he comes on a white horse. First time he comes, he comes on a donkey. In fact, a colt of a donkey. And he's coming as the king. And Zechariah 9 says he's sitting on a donkey. He's bringing salvation. He describes him as the king. So in the Old Testament, if you would have said, what's the Messiah going to be like? What would he be like? Like a what? Like a what? A king. Yeah, say it. You can say it. He's a king. <coughs> okay? <coughs> There's more. In Isaiah chapter 42, I want you to just flip there, okay? Just kind of go back a little bit, and you'll finally get Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, and then you'll get Isaiah, and get Isaiah chapter 42. Just flip back there. It's always fun and better to look at the verses, okay? It's always good to look at the verses. So flip back to Isaiah. I'm going to give everybody a chance to look, get back there for a second. We're going to see that the second way the Messiah is seen is a servant. First way he's seen as a what? King. Second way he's seen as a servant. Now look at this, Isaiah 42. Look at verse 1. Most of you there, Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my what? Spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And it goes on and says he will not cry, raise his voice, and, and people look at him and they don't recognize who he is. Do you remember when Jesus went? Do you remember? We talked about how Jesus was baptized by John, and then he goes and he goes to Nazareth, and he makes them all mad and they try to kill him. So he then goes to Capernaum and starts the ministry. Y'all remember that? Do you remember what he said when he was in Nazareth? He opened the Bible up to this passage and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. See, and they all went, Who does he think he is? God? Yep, yep, that's who he is, yeah. But anyway, he's the servant of the Lord, the servant of Jehovah. And now here's a question. If you're Jewish and you're looking at this, your, king's, your, your Messiah is going to be a what? A king, and your Messiah is going to be a what? So how does that match? I mean, most people who are servants aren't kings, and most people who are kings aren't servants. So we keep looking at it. There's a third one, and I want you to turn, and I'm going to put it right here, to Isaiah chapter 7. So you're in Isaiah 42. Just flip back a little bit further in your Bible, back to Isaiah chapter 7. And you're going to see a promise of a person of a man, of a child, of a son. Isaiah chapter 7, and this is one of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. Most people don't know the, the, the background of it. There was a king, his name was Ahaz, and he was a bad king. And God made a promise to him. And God said, ask me, a prophet was talking to him, he says, ask the Lord, he'll give you a sign. And Ahaz, who was wicked, acted all pious and said, oh, I won't ask for a sign. And so God says, you want to ask for a sign? We're going to give you a sign anyway. Look at uh, Isaiah 7, verse 10. Uh, that verse, 11, verse 11 says, and ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord. Make it deep. Make it deep. Make it, make it a big sign. Ahaz says, I will not ask the Lord or test the Lord. I will not ask him. 
And then they said, no, no, wait a minute. Is anything too hard for God? So then verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here's the sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and bear a what? A son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. But he's going to have a child. Isaiah seven fourteen: the Messiah would be a human being. Think about that. Now, that's shocking. He's going to be a what? A king and a servant, and he's going to be a man. So that sort of makes sense. You say, well, okay, it makes sense. If he's going to be a king, he's sort of got to be a person in him, a person. And, but we don't figure out how to put him as servant and king at the same time, but we could say that he's a man. And so the virgin would be with child. Now, we all know what that's a foreshadow of. That was a prophecy, right? And when did the virgin have the child? When? It's not a hard question. Uh, try Christmas, okay? Jesus got being born in the world. That's it, right? Okay? And so these aren't hard questions, okay? Right. So far, we're, we're not doing so pretty good. I mean, let's, let's, let's get, okay? So now we've got that he's a king, that he's a servant, that he's a man. But last, he's God. Now, look at Isaiah 9. Flip a two, couple. Just a, If your Bible's like mine, you only got to flip one, one or two pages, and you find that this child, this person who's born, is going to be God. Look what it says. For, unto, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Now, okay, that's different. There's a child born, but a son given. The son of God is given. The baby is born. Watch. And the government will rest on what? He's going to be a king. His name will be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Who is this? This, this, is, this is God. This child is born, son is given. He's God, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. This is the Son of God. So when you think about this, and by the way, in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that's one of the most famous verses because when the wise men came to Herod and they said, where is the one being born king of the Jews? Herod went to the religious leaders and said, I don't know this, but where is the one supposed to be born? And they all said, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, and Bethlehem. But it says something in that passage that we don't normally say. We always just say, well, it just tells you that he was born in Bethlehem. But it goes and says, his goings forth are from all eternity. That passage says he's always existed even before he was born. So now we got, oh my gracious. So we've got these, these four views of this, this Messiah. He's going to be a king. He's going to be a servant. He's going to be a man. He's going to be God. And so they were confused because if you look at some of the Jewish history, they said things like this. Okay, we, we got it. There is the, the, the man who is a servant, and there is a king who is God, and they're two different ones. So there was some teaching that there were two messiahs, one who would be a man who was a servant, and another would be a king who was God, because they couldn't put all four of them together. They hadn't thought about it. If you said to them, the messiah is a king, they'd go, that's right. If you said the messiah is a servant, they'd go, mm, well, it says it. Yeah, if, is, is he going to be a man? Well, yeah. Is he God? Well, yeah. And so if you look at it, you've got these four things. So the king of kings and the lord of lords and the servant who would die for the sin is to come to do the will of the father and the perfect man born of a virgin to fulfill the law and take man's sin and God the savior of the world, the prince of peace. 
Now, we only selected certain verses, but if you go to Isaiah, there are five servant passages in Isaiah, beginning in chapter 42 through the end of the book. Five passages talk about the servant, and he is the one that was wounded for our transgressions. He was the one that our sins were placed upon him. So when they talked about a servant, they talk about a servant who would die for us. That's what, and they knew it. And so when you think about these four views, you see that he's a king, that he's a servant, that he's a person, and that he's God. Now, that's, that's the four views from the Old Testament. Now, if my friend would have known, when I said to him, I read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they all seem pretty close to being the same, why are there four? And he said, because God didn't want you to miss it. If he'd have just said, those four Gospels give us the four views of the Messiah from the Old Testament. Is that not right? This is amazing. Is it not beautiful? And I want you to think about it. Matthew, why are there four Gospels? Because each of these Gospels gives us one of the four views of the Messiah as shown in the Old Testament. So when you, at Christmas time, and you're with your family, and something comes up, and y'all talk about the Gospels, you could even say, why are there four Gospels? And you could say there are four Gospels because in the Old Testament there were four views of the Messiah and each of those Gospels give us one of those views. He's a what? A king, a servant, a man, and he's God. And if you think about it, Matthew presents him as the what? The king. We've been seeing that on Sunday morning, right? And Mark presents him as the servant, and Luke presents him as the man, and John presents him as God. So, if you, are, as you study the Bible, as you look at Old Testament and New Testament, and you see what are the views of this Messiah who is coming, you realize that the four Gospels, and why are there four? Because each one shows the view. So, when some people ask you, and they say, the Gospels, and they say, the Gospels are the life of Christ, you say, no, no, the Gospels aren't the life of Christ. The Gospels are selected events from the life of Christ to show who he is. Matthew takes certain events to show that he's the king. Mark takes certain events to show that he is the servant. Luke takes certain events to show that he's man. And John takes certain events to show that he's God. So just remember that when you study it. Now with that in mind, it's time for the birth, isn't it? We think about it, the whole, every, we come together for Christmas. Why, why are we, on, on Christmas, we celebrate what? What do we celebrate at Christmas? The birth of Christ. What do we celebrate at Easter? The resurrection, the death and resurrection of the Messiah and the Savior. So at Christmas, we're thinking about the birth, and we, we've got stories about the baby and everything else. And so we want to stop, and the rest of the lesson, if we, at whatever time we have, we'll, we'll go through this, and then we'll stop and go back to our groups or whatever. I want to show you, from the Gospels, the birth of Christ shown in each of the Gospels presents Jesus as either the king, the servant, God, uh, man, or God. So if we start with the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to look at the birth. So go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to look at the four Gospels, and we're going to look at the birth of Jesus Christ in each of these Gospels, and we're going to see that Based on the gospel and the birth, we see him as either the king, the servant, uh, man, or God. Now, Matthew presents him as the what? 
the king. All right? Matthew presents Jesus as the king. I want you to notice that Jesus Christ as the king, the king of the Jews, and that was one of the Old Testament prophecies. So when we read the birth, do you know where the birth of Jesus Christ is in the Gospel of Matthew? You ever thought about it? We're actually going to talk about it this morning, but look at the very first verse of the Gospel of Matthew. If you're going to be the king of the Jews and if you're going to be born king of the Jews, you've got to be a descendant of who? Abraham and David. Look at verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, that's the Christ, the son of who? David and the son of Abraham. The genealogy, some people, I put that, the genealogy, a lot of people aren't interested. They, oh, I don't want to know that. The very first verse tells you exactly who Jesus Christ is, and he's the king of the Jews. I want you to notice, in, in at the very end of chapter 1, the baby is born. And if you notice that uh, uh, you start chapter 2, and of course we've seen this because we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew. I want you to notice chapter 2, look at verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. What are they saying? Where is he who has been born what? King of the Jews. The wise men come. Where is he that is born King of the Jews? What's the emphasis? Born what? King of the Jews. What's Matthew presenting him as? The King of the Jews. And in verse 11, they find him, and look what it did. In verse 11, after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Just remember, this is not the night, this is not Jesus, night Jesus was born. It's at least two years afterwards. They came into a house, not in a manger scene. They saw the child, not a baby. He was probably two years old. And with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground, and they what? They worshiped him. What do you do before a king? They bowed down and they worshiped, and they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and so they worshiped him. So Matthew records the birth of Jesus Christ as the king of the Jews. That makes sense? All right. Now, what's Mark presenting him as? What is it? Okay, so we're going to find it. I put it up this way on purpose. Mark the servant. It shows Jesus at his birth to be the servant. So let's look for the birth of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Mark. Let me read the beginning of the Gospel of Mark for you. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he talks about sending the messenger, and he talks about John the Baptist. And then verse 9 of Mark chapter 1, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and after that it talks about his ministry. Where is his birth? Are there some hidden verses that we don't have? There, there is no birth. There is no birth in the gospel of Mark. Huh? You know why? Because he's a servant. Huh? He's a servant. You do, a servant doesn't need background. See, it doesn't matter who your background is as a servant. What a servant needs is references. Right? That you're okay. You want to see his references? See, he... It, it, Servant does not need a background. Servant needs references and recommendations. I want you to see Jesus, he needs recommendations. Jesus gets two recommendations. One is John in verse 7. He was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not even fit to stoop down and untie the throng of his sandals. And then... In verses 9, 10, and 11, Jesus came to be baptized, immediately coming up out of the water. Who comes down? Who comes down? The Holy Spirit comes down, and then who says something? The Father, and what does he say? This is my Son, in whom I'm what? 
well pleased. That's the recommendations. So when you look at the gospel of, of, of Mark, there is no birth of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's a servant and you don't need Now, if you're going to be born king of the Jews, you better have a birth and it better show you match. That's the Matthew. But if you're going to be the servant of Jehovah, you don't need a background. You just need recommendations. And they've got them. Okay, what's Luke presenting him as? The perfect man. Now, I want to just tell you something. And go, go ahead and flip over to the Gospel of Luke. And you can, st- you can just be at Luke chapter 1. But I want to remind you that in Luke chapter 3, there's the genealogy. And since Luke presents him as what? A man. The genealogy goes all the way back to who? It goes back to the very first man, Adam. Now, that's an amazing thing. Because if you read the Gospel of Luke and go backwards in chapter 3, it takes you all the way back to Adam. It's just amazing. Now, it shows him as the perfect man. If you were wanting to teach someone the story of Jesus being born, where would you go? You'd show it Matthew? So you think Matthew shows him being born? All that Matthew said was that Mary had her baby. Right Now, Matthew chapter 2 uh, is not the birth of Christ. It's the wise men coming two years later. Where do you go to find the Christmas story? Luke, Luke chapter 2. The angel, the shepherd's out in the field, and, and the um, good news of great joy to all people born this day in the city of David is a what? Savior. And then they go and find the baby, and where is he? He's in a, he's in a feed trough. That's what a manger is, by the way. And so the gospel of Luke shows us the birth of the boy, of the man, of the child, of the one who is a person. Look at Luke, um, look at Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 6, probably one of the most famous. While they were there, their days were completed for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end, this is the birth of the son. This is the birth of a baby. This is not a passage showing that he's king of the Jews. This is not a passage showing that he's the servant of Jehovah. This is a passage showing that he's a little baby born at a, at a point in time in history. He's born as the, the perf- perfect, perfect person. I love that passage because we know that the shepherds, you know, the angels came and told them, and then they went and they found the baby. And then the shepherds, it said, when they saw all this, they, they saw it, the baby in the manger. And by the way, uh, when, when, I was, when I grew up, I thought a manger was a house. They said manger scene, right? What, what do you think of when you think of the word manger? I, I, I didn't know that. I thought, I, I thought a manger was the little house. You know, because they always had this little house, and then Jesus was doing this little thing, and people and everything was there. And so I thought, and then I finally studied, you know, I started looking at the Bible, and the word manger is what? It's a feed trough. They laid him in a manger. They laid him in a feed trough because there was no room for them then. It was probably a barn, and it could have been a cave. It could have been. We know that they, there was no room for them in the inn. Now, the inn was not Holiday Inn, okay? It, it was probably not a place you would really want to stay. But since you didn't have any place to stay, they tried to get there, and it was completely full. Why was it full? Huh? 
yeah, the census, they, everybody had to go back to their hometowns. So all these people are going back, and the towns, the little towns where everybody's from, they just filled up. And when by the time Joseph and Mary got there, because they were traveling slow, they were going from the northern part of Israel to the southern part of Israel. It took a long time. Uh, they were traveling. It was 280-something miles. I mean, it may have taken them days. And by the time they got down there, everything was completely full. And yet, it was time. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in cloths, put him in a feed trough. The baby is born. So Matthew presents him as the king. We see him born king of the Jews. Mark presents him as a servant. There's no birth at all, but we see the references. Luke presents him as the man. We actually see the story of the, of the man being born and the baby. And last but not least is the gospel. Of Luke says he was the person. The last but not least is the gospel of John, which shows Jesus as the son of God. Okay, well, so let's turn to the gospel of John. And if you think about it, you'd say, okay, John presents Jesus as who? As God. And, and notice the, the, the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. What beginning? The beginning what? Of the what? Of this earth? No, it's not the beginning of the earth. Because Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This doesn't say anything about a creation of heavens and earth. This says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. What beginning is that? It's called the eternal beginning. It's, there's no, it's just always existing. So he begins the book by saying that Jesus Christ, who is the Word, has always what? Existed. Now, who's always existed? God. So he's starting off by saying he's God. In fact, notice verse 1 again. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he starts the book by, by showing that he's God. Where is the birth of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John? Because as you read it, you find this man named John. And then as you read a little bit further, it talks about uh, people came out to him and said, who are you? And he said, I'm not the Messiah. And then you look up and there's Jesus. So is there a birth in the Gospel of John? You might say, well, if Jesus is God, he's never born. But is God born? Was the baby in Bethlehem also God? How about John 1.14? John 1.14, and the word what? Became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the birth of Jesus Christ. That's the birth of God. That's the birth, the, the incarnation. God becomes a man. So it's, it's an amazing story. Uh, you can't, can you imagine this? You can't imagine this. How can the eternal God become a human being? And not just a human being. He didn't just become a human being. He became a baby. I mean, he didn't come as a, you know, like a, 30-something-year-old man and said, by the way, I'm, I have arrived. He was born as a baby in Bethlehem. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love this verse because it says, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's God. That's who He is. So why four Gospels? We realize the four Gospels present Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of the four Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. So Matthew shows he's born king of the Jews. Mark shows he's the servant. There's no birth information. Luke shows that he is the son born in Bethlehem. And John shows that he's God who became flesh. So 
when you get with your families and you want to talk about some biblical stuff, you could throw things out by saying, wonder why the four Gospels, why do you think? And we see that he is the king, the servant, the perfect man. And whoever believes in him as the son of God will never perish but have eternal life. So when you think about the baby, he's the king to rule and reign forever. He is the servant who's come to do the will of the Father to die and rise again. He is the man, the son, the perfect one to be our substitute. And he is the God who would pay for sin full of grace and truth.